Hello and welcome to the Mr. Brown podcast, where I reflect on my journey as an early career teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James Brown. How can we as teachers ensure that our lessons are interesting, easy to understand and easy to remember? Crucial questions for any educator. Daniel Willingham offers an answer. In his Ask the Cognitive Scientist article, which is a regular column in The American Educator, I'll post a link in the show notes. There he suggests that if we want our lessons to be interesting, easy to understand and easy to remember, then why not try using stories? Now, he offers three different explanations as to why stories are more interesting, easier to understand, and easier to remember than other types of material. But as far as I can tell, it all seems to boil down to the fact that with stories, we know what to expect, which of course makes them easier to understand. And what we expect is causality and goals. Causality, in fact, is one of the four basic features of stories, the other three being conflict, complications, and character, the four C's. So because we know what to expect, namely causality and goals, stories lead us to make medium-level inferences. Now, what on earth does that mean? Willingham offers a nice example. So I'm going to read it to you. It's a short story. A newlywed bride has made clam chowder soup for dinner and was waiting for her husband to come home. Although she was not an experienced cook, she had put everything into making the soup. Finally, her husband came home, sat down to dinner and tried some of the soup. The poor woman swore she would never cook for her husband again. That's a good little story. And... From the final sentence, we infer that the husband didn't appreciate the soup. If we were told explicitly that the husband didn't appreciate the soup, then there wouldn't be a great deal left for us to do as readers. We'd end up reading the story passively rather than actively engaging with it and filling in the gaps. Similarly, if those gaps were too big, and we couldn't infer what was going on, then we'd also lose interest. So medium-level inferences are crucial. They make the story interesting, easy to comprehend, and also easy to remember. Because when we're trying to fill in those gaps and make those inferences, we're thinking. And what we think about is ultimately what we remember. So stories in this way are psychologically privileged. And Willingham speculates that this may be because understanding actions and character in a story calls on the same processes that we use when we try to understand the actions and intentions of real people in real life. And these processes are incredibly important because we evolved as a social species. We need to understand the actions and intentions of of other people if we're to survive. So stories are an essential part of our being 
And so Willingham recommends that teachers capitalise on the privileged status of stories by telling more stories in class and by injecting story elements, those are the four C's, causality, conflict, complications and character, injecting those elements into their lessons. Do that and their lessons should be more interesting, easier to understand and easier to remember, which of course every teacher wants. In this episode, I'd like to suggest that Willingham doesn't go far enough. It's not just that stories have a privileged status when it comes to learning. I think that learning is itself a story. And that if the story is missing, then no learning has taken place. Let me explain. Okay, so first, a little more on what a story actually is. So we already heard from Willingham that a story has four basic features. The four C's, causality, conflict, complications and character. But a story is also told in three parts. A beginning, a middle and an end. Act 1, Act 2 and Act 3. And Aristotle was the first to write about this basic story structure over 2,000 years ago in his book Poetics. And he said that the beginning, middle and end of a story correspond to pity, fear and catharsis. At the start of a story, in the beginning, we need to come to pity the character. And that just means we need to develop an emotional connection with them. We need to like them. That's the goal of the first act of a story, the beginning. Then the author needs to throw their character into some trouble. And since we've already developed this emotional connection with the character, we will fear for them. Okay, so that was the second aspect, pity and then fear. We need to pity the character, and then once they're in trouble, we need to be afraid for them. And the point of creating this fear and suspense and tension and anxiety is so that at the end, it can all be released. That's the catharsis. Even if it's just the words, and they lived happily ever after. It means that we can stop worrying about this character with whom we've developed an emotional connection. We can draw a line under it and move on. That's catharsis, something that we so rarely have in real life. Now, you may think that what does a Greek guy from 2000 years ago have to say about stories that could possibly be relevant today? But that three part story structure endures to this day. So Sid Field, in his book Screenplay, The Foundations of Screenwriting, which is just about the most famous book ever written about filmmaking, and has served as reference for the likes of Judd Apatow, James Cameron, Frank Darabont, and many other professional screenwriters. In that book, Field covers exactly the same territory as Aristotle did 2,000 years ago. A screenplay must have three acts. The first act is the setup, which reveals the main character, the premise, and the situation of the story. The second act 
contains confrontation and clearly defines the main goal of the protagonist. And the third act contains resolution and answers the question as to whether or not the main character has succeeded in their goal. So again, beginning, middle and end, we learn to pity the main character in the setup. We develop an emotional connection. We fear for them in the second act when they are confronted with something, when they are thrown into trouble. And then in the third act, we gratefully receive resolution and catharsis. So to take a familiar example of this beginning, middle, end, pity, fear, catharsis, think about Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling employed every trick in the book in the opening chapters of The Philosopher's Stone to make us pity Harry Potter, to develop that emotional connection with him. He lived in a cupboard under the stairs. His parents had died. His aunt and uncle were horrible. And Dudley Dursley was about the most detestable character you could ever meet. Okay, so we really pity Harry. And then in each book, Harry, along with Ron and Hermione, are thrown into some sort of trouble, and we fear for him, and we fear for them. This tension and anxiety builds throughout the book, but then at the end it's resolved. They thwart Voldemort's evil efforts once again, and that tension and anxiety is released, and we can be happy, at least until we start reading the next book. Okay, so stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end, which loosely correspond to pity, fear, and catharsis. Now, what does this have to do with learning, beyond what Willingham has already said? Gershon Harrell, in an article in Mathematics Education, again, I'll post a link in the show notes, he states that any piece of knowledge that a human possesses is an outcome of their resolution of a problematic situation. Now, this is grounded in the work of Piaget, whom you may have heard of. According to Piaget, whenever we encounter a problematic situation or an obstacle, we necessarily experience something called disequilibrium. The cognitive effect of disequilibrium is that it forces us to go beyond our current state that's what we already know, and to strike out in new directions. Equilibrium, on the other hand, is what we experience when we've successfully removed the obstacle and overcome the problematic situation, whatever it was. Hopefully, all this sounds rather familiar, because it's simply the three-act structure of a story. The first act, or the setup, is our current state. It's what we already know. The second act involves confrontation with a problematic situation or an obstacle that falls beyond what we already know, beyond our current state. And this confrontation induces disequilibrium or simply fear, fear of the unknown. And this disequilibrium or fear motivates us to find a solution. The third act is the resolution. We overcome the obstacle, turn the unknown into the known, 
and thus return to equilibrium and experience catharsis. So, seen in this way, learning isn't just helped by stories. Learning is a story. And if a student hasn't gone through these three acts, then they can't be said to have learnt anything at all. Now, I think this idea generates some interesting questions and has some interesting implications. So I think the first most natural question when hearing the idea that learning is a story, the first question that springs to mind is, okay, well, who's the main character? If learning's a story and stories necessarily involve characters, then who's the character in learning? And the answer is the student. They are the main character. They are the protagonist. But then you might object that unless the student appreciates the fact that they are the character in the story of their learning, then perhaps all this talk about stories doesn't amount to much in the classroom. And you might say that it's too much to expect a student to be able to step outside their experience and almost view themselves from above and see themselves as a character in their own story. To which I'd respond, that's exactly what metacognition is. Metacognition is thinking about thinking. And in the context of school, it's thinking about learning. And according to the Education Endowment Foundation, again, I'll post a link in the show notes, the use of metacognitive strategies, which get pupils to think about their own learning, can be worth the equivalent of an additional seven months progress when used well. And so with these strategies, we're already encouraging students to step outside themselves and to observe their own learning. And if learning is a story, that will involve seeing themselves as the character, as the main character in that story. Now, we mentioned fear and catharsis as corresponding to disequilibrium and equilibrium when it comes to learning. But what about pity? If you remember, according to Aristotle, every story has a beginning, a middle and an end. And these correspond to pity, fear and catharsis. But for us to be afraid for our main character and to care whether or not they overcome this new obstacle, we must first have developed an emotional connection with them. That's the point of the beginning of a story. And so, if we see learning as a story in which the student is the main character, when they step outside themselves, when they employ those metacognitive strategies and observe themselves in this story, if it's to be a good story, if it's to truly constitute learning, then they need to care for themselves. They need to be sufficiently invested in themselves that they care whether or not they overcome the obstacle. And so perhaps the most important thing 
a teacher can foster in their student is self-esteem. For if a student doesn't care about themselves, then they're not going to care about learning. Now, speaking of the teacher, this raises another interesting question. If learning is a story in which the student is the main character, then what role does the teacher play? If we think about Harry Potter, the teacher would be Dumbledore. In Lord of the Rings, it would be Gandalf. In Star Wars, it would be Obi-Wan. Each of those characters, in some way, builds up the confidence of the main character, be it Harry, Frodo or Luke, before throwing them into chaos, casting them into disequilibrium. But, and I'll leave you with this, in Harry Potter, the character most responsible for driving the story forward probably isn't Dumbledore. It's probably Voldemort. In Lord of the Rings, it isn't Gandalf, but probably Sauron. And in Star Wars, not Obi-Wan, but probably Darth Vader. It's the villain, the obstacle, that drives the story forward. And so, if learning is a story, perhaps the best role for the teacher is the villain. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It took around three hours to produce, which is about average, and I try to produce two or three episodes a month. If you think that that work is worth at least the price of a coffee once a month, then please consider becoming a patron. There's a link to my Patreon page in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at MrBrownPod or email MrBrownPod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash MrBrownPod and helping me cover the cost of producing the podcast. Thank you and talk again soon.